If you have your Bible, open to Mark chapter 3. That's where we're going to be in just a minute. We're going to be in Mark 2 for just a second. But then primarily we're going to be in, uh, be in Mark chapter 3. Uh, one announcement that I want to remind you of that I forgot to mention earlier is that next Sunday as uh, we get ready to send our children and teachers back to school, uh, we, like to do, we like to do each year a blessing of the backpacks or blessing of the bags. So if you are a teacher or a student, we want all of you to bring your bags. And so if you're a parent in here, have your kids bring their bags. We'll place them up here on the stage. And then our shepherds will surround all teachers and students at the end of next Sunday as we pray for them, ask God's blessing on them as they get ready to begin uh, another school year. And so just wanted to, uh, to remind you about that, that that will, be, uh, that will be next Sunday. Well, as I mentioned a few minutes ago, we, uh, we got back from camp and it was a really, really uh, great week together with those kids. And there was a lot of kids there. There's 125 kids, about 50 uh, staff ranging from pretty young to up to some that had a little bit of age on them. Uh, and it was great. It was really fun. Uh, I'm pretty sure that everybody who went to camp is feeling the effects and the aftermath of camp right now, or at least I hope they are because I definitely am. Uh, Thursday night, as Bethany put it, uh, I lived like I was 23 instead of 43. Uh, that included winging lots of water balloons at uh, counselors, uh, falling off the back of a moving golf cart at a high rate of speed, uh, among other things. And so, uh, you know, it was, uh, you know, the, uh, the, the great prophet, Toby Keith, once said, you know, I'm not as good as I once was, but I'm as good once as I ever was. I'm afraid that might have been the last time that I'm going to be as good once as I ever was, but I was good and I am paying for it today. So if you saw me pop three Advil just before I got up here, that's why. But it was a great, great week and it really segues well into what I want to talk about this morning. The title of the message, if you saw from the previous slide, is Good Over Nice. And that may not make a whole lot of sense right now, but I'm going to try to clear that up for you in just a few minutes. The theme for Camp Wiregrass this year has been the armor of God. And so everything has surrounded that. And now that's not just the week we were there, the third and fourth grade session. That's for all what, eight weeks of camp that run throughout the summer. From first and second graders all the way up to high school students, they've studied the armor of God. That's in their classes. That's in their uh, morning devotionals that the kids lead uh, before breakfast, at lunch. That's in the evening chapel times when the speakers talk about it. We try to build the songs around it as well. Uh, the guy that I mentioned a little while ago, Mr. Benny, he goes through a song... Uh, with the, where the kids are singing out the, the different pieces of the armor of God. And it was just really, really great, a great week. And so each of the speakers, we kind of took one of the, the pieces of armor and talked about that in our, uh, in our chapel sermons. And I was assigned the Wednesday night slot. And I had the strangest verse in all of that armor passage 
there in Ephesians chapter 6. It's Ephesians 6, 15 that says <clears throat> something to the line, something to the point of um, be shewed with the readiness of the gospel of peace. And so you didn't quite know how to say it because you got the helmet of salvation, you got the, the breastplate of righteousness, you got the belt of truth, and then you got the shoes and readiness and gospel of peace kind of all in one, and it's kind of a mouthpiece, you know, I mean a mouthful, and then you got the, the shield of faith, and you got the sword of the spirit and all of that. So I had the kind of the awkward one that I had to deal with, you know. And so, you know, my first question to the kids was, what is the gospel? And of course, the gospel is the good news. And then the next question is, well, what does it mean to be shooed with the readiness of the gospel of peace? And basically, it means be ready to take peace into places where there is no peace. You know, a lot of times we think, <clears throat> we think peace is just the absence of war. But you look at a lot of marriages and homes and you know that it doesn't just mean, you know, the absence of war because there's a lot of turmoil. There's a lot of strife there. While there might not be physical war going on in that home, there may definitely not also be peace. You know, just because you have absence of war does not mean you have presence of peace. Are you with me? You with me? Okay, and so that's kind of what I was, uh, was talking about. And I realized when I got back that the text that I'm going to talk about today really works well with that, with that idea. And so that's what I want to talk about. The point that I made Wednesday night to the kids was this, that you put on your gospel shoes, you step in, and you bring peace into someone's life. And that's a message that applies for us as well, because all of us know somebody that needs peace in their life. All of us know somebody who doesn't fit in, who doesn't belong, who is ridiculed, who is looked down on. You know, as I was talking to the kids, I had in mind the kid that gets picked on, that gets made fun of for whatever reason, that has uh, some sort of maybe disability uh, or has some other issue going on. And that, that person more than anybody needs a friend. Okay, and that as, as ambassadors of the gospel and having the, the shoes of peace, we're ready to put those shoes on and take some good news, some love, into that person's life. And I talked about Romans, what is it, ten fifteen that talks about how beautiful are the feet of those who carry the gospel. And that primarily we think that's about preachers. It's not about preachers. It's about anybody who puts on gospel shoes, steps in and brings peace into somebody's life. Okay, so... That text applies to all of us, okay? And that's kind of what we are to do. And I think that's exactly what we see happening in the text that we're going to, to look at today. Um, when I was in grad school, I took a theological ethics class. It's one of the most challenging courses that I ever took. The professor was really, really good but I probably grumbled and complained and moaned and groaned in that class, or rather about that class, more than any other class that I ever took. But it was also really, really challenging. And I remember getting the syllabus, and it was in the second year of grad school, okay? And we had heard rumors about this professor. 
okay, that he was really tough, he's really challenging. I knew he was brilliant because I have a lot of his books and I've read his stuff before and I've heard him speak, but I'd never actually sat in a classroom where it was like a smaller group and he could call your name out of the crowd for not listening, Bethany, and ask you something, you know, and it's not fun. Okay, you teachers know that trick. You know, somebody's drifting off or whatever, and you call their name to dial them back in. And so you really make sure you're dialed in. And I made sure my eyes locked with his every single time because I didn't want him to single me out and ask me something that I knew I didn't have the answer to. Okay, and so anyway, I get his syllabus. And I had to ha- I had took this guy for a full year, okay, or for two, two semesters, uh, theological uh, it's actually called Theological Engagements 1, Theological Engagements 2. It was just a continuation of the course. And I got his syllabus, okay? This is the second semester, uh, I mean the, the, the third semester of graduate school, okay? I have a 4.0, okay? I never had a 4.0 in my life, ever, okay? And I was proud of it. And I get his syllabus, and he quotes some ethicist saying... I don't trust anybody with a 4.0. Basically saying, don't expect an A. Okay, if you got a 4.0, I'm basically going to destroy that. Is basically what he was saying. And I remember just being really irritated about that and saying, well, that's not very ethical, you know. But that was, you know, and he, he had a very good reason for it. But then his syllabus went on to say this, and it was, it's really good, and it was how that we were supposed to interact with one another as students, as we would read each other's writings and listen to comments, and we had to respond back to one another. And he, he really called out a tendency that a lot of people have, including myself, but we very seldom address because we think it might be the right approach. But this is what he said in his syllabus. He said, let all things be said with charity but do not let niceness, which is of no Christian virtue, keep you from saying things how you see them. If you see things differently, then basically say them. Okay? And that I was like, okay, all right. I kind of I get what you're saying right there. Because a lot of times we say or don't say things because we want to be we want to be nice. Right? We want to be thought of as nice. And that's what I want us to consider today. And that's kind of where the, the, the title of the sermon comes from. Good over nice. Another thing that uh, Dr. Camp said, and this is what I was talking about, how it really kind of shaped my thinking a little bit, uh, kind of came into play uh, as I was coaching Jackson. Jackson, of course, loves soccer. You know that. He's, uh, you know, he's got some pretty good skill at it. You know, he's a three-time all-star. He does really well. But I started noticing a few years ago that he would be really aggressive until he would go up onto somebody that had the ball and he would kind of back off a little bit. Okay. And I think why that was is because Jackson's a nice kid. Okay. Everybody knows Jackson is a nice kid. He does not want to hurt anybody. He doesn't want to hurt anybody's feelings. And so what would happen is he, a lot of times he would, 
He would go hard, hard, hard until he had to go one-on-one with somebody. And then he would, I noticed he was backing off a little bit because he was afraid of causing a collision or afraid of, of hurting them. And then it's when Lee Camp's thing came to mind and I realized it and I sat him down and I said to him, probably what a lot of parents would not agree with, and you may not agree with it, and that's fine. I told him, I said, I don't want you. I said, you're a nice kid. I don't want you to be nice anymore. Okay? I don't want you to be nice. I want you to be good. Okay? And I don't mean good skilled-wise. I mean, I don't want you to be a nice person. I want you to be a good person. Okay, because niceness lets things go unchecked, right? Niceness worries about what others are going to think about us if we say something. Goodness rises to meet the challenge. And so what I told him is, look, son, don't, don't worry about causing a collision. Don't worry about hurting somebody's feelings if you take the ball from them. You know, that's kind of the objective. I want you to be a good person. I don't want you to cheat you know, I don't want you to, I don't want you to be physical in ways that you don't have to. I want you to be a good person and go and challenge for the ball. And the more I got to thinking about that, the more I realized that, you know, this is what life is about as well. Because niceness lets things go unchecked. Niceness can, can turn its head when it shouldn't. A nice person may not stand up for someone. Or a nice person, you know, will just kind of let things roll because they don't want to make waves or they don't want to hurt feelings. And, it's, you know, I, you know, I, I just I'm just trying to keep the peace. So I'm going to I'm going to keep my my mouth shut. But here's the thing. While we think niceness is good, niceness is actually not good. OK, Niceness is not good in the way that we're thinking about it, in the context we're thinking about it. Because if, if somebody is, is being harmed by someone else's actions or words, deeds, whatever, and you know, we don't want to rock the boat, we don't want to make way, I, you know, I'm just gonna, I'm not gonna say, I'm gonna keep my mouth shut. You know, I'm a, I'm a nice person, I'm gonna stay in the background. The thing is, niceness, while it might keep you out of trouble, niceness can lead to more pain, more sorrow, more shame in another person's life because we're too nice to say or do something. Do you see that? And so I told my son, I don't want you to be a nice person anymore. I want you to be a good person. Okay? Now I'm going to go ahead and tell you now, this is a struggle for me. Okay? Because I want to be nice too. And sometimes niceness has caused me not to say things that I know needed to be said, but because I didn't want to hurt somebody's feelings, I didn't say it. Or maybe I said it in a way and I got just kind of hinting at it, but then backed off. Okay, niceness, niceness in this sense can actually, I think, do more harm than good. You know, that's what Lee said. He said, niceness is not a Christian virtue, okay? But you know what is a Christian virtue is goodness. Goodness is one of the fruits of the Spirit of God, okay? Goodness is from God, okay? And so this is what I want to talk about today. And so I'm going to go ahead and tell you right now that if you're a nice person, get ready to be offended 
And I'm okay with you being offended. In fact, I would rather you be offended than be a nice person because I don't want you to be a nice person anymore. I want you to be a good person. Okay? Because niceness lets things go by. Niceness can turn a blind eye, can turn a head, can let things happen. Goodness challenges things. Stands up, steps in, puts on gospel shoes. You see what I'm saying? And it brings peace into a, into a chaotic situation. Well, Mark kind of sets up chapter 3 by telling us something that happens at the end of chapter 2 on the Sabbath. On a Sabbath day, Jesus and his disciples are plucking some heads of grain and they're, they're eating them, or his disciples are, and the Pharisees, you know, you, they, they look at him and they say, well, hey, wait a minute, why are you doing this? Because Sabbath keeping was important. It was part of the identity for the Jews, okay? It set them apart from the pagans, the rest of the pagan world, okay? It's, you know, it's, it's part of the great commands of God, you know, keep the Sabbath day holy, you know, don't work, don't do anything, all of that stuff. You know, you don't do any kind of work. And, you know, they're not technically working. They're actually just pulling grains off. They don't have a sickle or anything else like that. They're getting the, the heads of grain, but the disciples uh, or the, the Pharisees are so concerned about breaking a religious rule that they sort of built fences around the actual rules just to make sure they wouldn't get close to it. And they said, anything like this is work. And they say, well, why are you do or why are they doing that? It's not lawful on the Sabbath. And Jesus says, hey, look, you know what David did? Do you not remember? Surely you know this story that when they were hungry, they entered the house of God. And they went and they ate the bread that is not lawful for anybody to eat except the priests. And guess what? It was okay because they were hungry. Then he told them in verse 27, the Sabbath was made for man, not the man for the Sabbath day. So then the son of man is Lord even of the Sabbath. You know, this is my day. I'm the Lord of it. It's okay. Okay, these guys are hungry. They're, they're taking care of a, a need and, and that that is okay. So now then watch what happens in verse one of chapter three. Jesus entered the synagogue again, and a man was there who had a shriveled hand. In order to accuse him, they were watching him closely to see whether he would heal on the Sabbath. Now, they know what they're doing. They know what Jesus is about. They know he's this great healer. They know he has this new authority that everybody's just kind of going crazy over. And people are flocking out in droves to, to hear him. And they're following them. And the stuff that he is saying, it's kind of making them look silly because, you know, they're more concerned about rule keeping and regulations than about their actual relationship with God. And so he's challenging him, challenging he is challenging them on their, on their ideas. Okay? He's telling them, it's okay to eat on the Sabbath. And you can harvest that grain and eat it if you need to. That's fine. Okay? And so they go to synagogue and they see this man with the withered hand. And they're watching Jesus. Which means they are not really there for Sabbath worship. Okay? They are there solely to trap Jesus. 
Okay, That's their whole purpose in being there. Their heart is not prepared for worship. It is on something else. They are completely, completely distracted. Verse 3, He told the man with the shriveled hand, Stand before us. And then notice verse 4. Then he said to them, Is it lawful to do what? Good on the Sabbath or to do evil, to save life or to kill, but they were silent. Okay? Do you realize what Jesus is saying to them? He's going to heal the guy on the Sabbath day. He knows that they are watching for him, watching to see what he's going to do, knows that they're going to try to entrap him with this healing that he is going to perform. And so he says to them, hey, look, come on up here. Puts the guy right on the spot. And he turns to the Pharisees. And remember, Pharisees don't like pop quizzes. And Jesus gives them a pop quiz. Hey, Pharisees, which is right? Which is really the law? To do good on the Sabbath or to do evil? To heal or to kill? Basically what he is saying, pay attention. That if we don't choose good, we're aligning ourselves with evil. There's no neutral ground. There's no neutral ground with Jesus. There's no sitting on the fence. There's no coasting. There's no riding the bench. There's no, hey, I've done enough. It's all, hey, look, you're either in or you're not in. It's one or the other. Take your pick. Jesus talked about the kingdom of God and the kingdom of Satan. He said there's two, that's it. And if you don't choose the kingdom of God, you are by default aligning yourself with the kingdom of Satan. It's the same thing here. If we don't choose to do good to somebody who needs good done to them, we are by default aligning ourselves with evil. Do you see that? That's what Jesus is saying. And so he gives them the pop quiz and look at what their answer is. They were silent. And that's a heavy, heavy, heavy line. He is literally asking them, which is right? He is, I mean, he's doing ethics with them right here. Let's do, moral, let's do morals here. Which one's right? Which one's wrong? Which one's good and evil? This is life or death. Pick the one you think we ought to do. God's leaders have no answer they are, and it's not because they don't know the answer, it's because they choose, they choose to be silent. Jesus is, Jesus is dangerous. Okay? Jesus is controversial. He's stirring up controversy right in their midst, not to be controversial. For controversy's sake, but because Jesus is good and not nice. He's going to challenge things that are going unchecked. Okay? It got me to thinking about this. Actually, uh, as I got through finishing the other night, uh, an adult that was there reminded me of the Chronicles of Narnia. You know, written by C.S. Lewis. Okay? And if you never read that or, or seen the movie, you have this scene in Narnia, where the uh, the children have come to, in, they found their way into into Narnia, 
And they're just kind of wandering around and they're walking around. They come across these creatures that speak to them. And they've met Mr. and Miss Beaver. And they're explaining to them, to them the way Narnia works, that it used to be beautiful. And now it's winter all the time, but it's never Christmas. And that Father Christmas or Santa Claus, the Santa Claus character, hasn't been here in years because the witch, the white witch, has control of everything. And she's evil. Okay, And the, the whole imagery is, is heaven and earth and good and evil. That's what it is. And so they're explaining to them and they say, but Aslan is coming. Aslan is on the move and it's this, this lion. Okay, And so Mr. and Miss Beaver are talking to the two girls, the two children that are girls, uh, Susan and Lucy, about Aslan, who is the, the king of all Narnia. And, and one of them asks if Aslan is a man... And the beaver says, Aslan is, is a lion. He's the great lion. And then Lucy, the youngest daughter, says, is he safe? And the beaver says, safe? Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe. But he's good, I tell you. And he's the king. G- if, if you're not with me, Aslan is Jesus. Okay, the lion. Jesus is not safe. Following anybody who tells you to pick up a cross and follow after him and be prepared to die, that's not somebody safe. Okay? I mean, in case we've missed that one, it's not safe. Jesus is not safe. Following Jesus is not safe. Pew sitting, leaving marks on the chair, that's safe. Getting in the game is a different story altogether, and you know it and I know it. Okay? Jesus is is not safe. Jesus is good. That's why he's willing to say, hey, look, Pharisees, you, I know you're watching me with this guy. You tell me what the right thing to do is. According to the law, which you claim to believe and be the experts in, you tell me what we should do. Should we do good or should we do evil? Should we save life or should we, should we destroy? Should we destroy life? But yet they were silent. Silence is deadly. Silence in the name of niceness is tragic. I imagine that some people get tired of hearing me mentioning injustice and prejudice and racism and sermons and stuff like that. There may be some that want me to just get back to just just preaching the gospel. And number one, I feel I don't say or do enough about those things. But two, standing up for others is the gospel. It's, It's good news. Those feeling oppression and injustice and suppression need good news. To be ambassadors of the gospel of Christ means what I said to the kids at camp, you put on your gospel shoes, you step in and you bring peace into somebody's chaotic situation just like Jesus did. Okay? These Pharisees would not say anything. Jesus is not going to stand for it. Jesus is not going to be nice. Jesus is is going to be good brings to mind some of the things that Martin Luther King said. 
He said, in the end, we will remember not the words of our enemies, but the silence of our friends. The silence of our friends comes from friends who choose to be nice, not good. Who choose not to say anything. Who choose not to get involved. Who choose not to stand up because they don't want to rock the boat. They don't want to make waves. They don't want others to think something of them that they're radical. Something like that. Well, guess what? The gospel of Jesus is radical. And to follow Jesus is a radical thing. He says this, he who passively accepts evil. Now think about this in response to what Jesus just told these Pharisees. He who passively accepts evil is as much involved in it as he who helps to perpetrate it. He who accepts evil without protesting against it is really cooperating with it. There is no neutral ground. There's no neutral position. If we are serious about following Christ, then it's either we're in the game or we're, you know, we're on one team or another. There's no substitution. There's no time out. There's no sitting it out. By not choosing the side of Jesus, we by default choose the side of Satan and evil and everything that comes with it. Here's another one. Our lives begin to end the day we become silent about things that matter. Martin Luther King Jr. was willing to lay down his life because of injustice that was ripping our country apart and did lay down his life. Threats all the time. Crosses burned on his front yard. Went to jail. And he says this, and, and, and what a, that, that's a prophetic witness for all of us. The day you know, we begin to be silent, our lives come to an end because what are we really standing for? Are we not willing to stand up and do what is right? Or because we don't want to you know, get involved, because we don't want to get our hands dirty, because we're worried about others, will, what they'll think about us, because we don't want to make waves, we don't want to rock the boat, we remain silent and we just let things go unchecked. And if we think racism and those kind of things in our country are over, we're blind, just as blind as the Pharisees were. Because it's everywhere and all you got to do is turn on the TV. Okay? All you got to do is turn on the TV and it is there. Better yet, sit down with a brother or sister of a different race and let them tell you their story. Let them tell you what their experience is. Because it is everywhere. And you remember two years ago, it visited harshly our own community. And then finally this, and I love this one. The time is always right to do what is right. Oh, well, eventually I'm going to say something. Eventually I'll do something. Eventually I'm going to stand up and I'm going to stand in the gap for someone or for some group of people. One day, I'll say something, when the time is right. If you're a follower of Jesus, guess what? The time is right. It's not convenient, but it's right. 
Following Jesus is not convenient. Sitting in a chair, not doing anything, just coming here Sunday after Sunday or Wednesday after Wednesday, that's convenient. That's easy. But you and I know that there are people all around us that are hurting, that are suffering, that are dying. There are people that need us to stand in the gap and go to bat for them, to love them, to show that Jesus really does love everybody. You think the time was right for Jesus in the synagogue? He could have waited until the Pharisees went home, right? I mean, he could have healed the guy the next day. He's probably had a withered hand for a long time. Chances are he's pretty used to it. He can survive one more day with it, right? But why let suffering go on for one more minute when it doesn't have to? Why not end suffering when we feel like and understand that we can do something about it? Why wait? That's Jesus' point. Why wait? Why should he have to wait? He looks at those Pharisees and he is angry with them. He knows the the, the hardness of their heart. Verse 5 says, looking around at them with anger, he was grieved at the hardness of their hearts. He told the man, stretch out your hand. So he did. He stretched it out and his hand was restored. Jesus chose goodness over niceness. He chose to step into the middle of this man's pain and suffering. Chose to bring, chose to bring healing. He chose goodness over peace. Choosing niceness is not choosing peace. As a matter of fact, I'm going to go as far to say that choosing niceness in the face of something like that is not peace, it's cowardice. And I'll be the first one to say that I'm guilty of it. I'm absolutely the first one to say, yep, that's me. I've been there. I've done that a lot. I've probably done that. I've probably chosen the the niceness thing. I've probably chosen that. I know I've chosen that way more times than I've chosen goodness. Because nice is easy. Nice is convenient. Nice is quiet. Nice is silent. Niceness, nobody has to notice me. But goodness means you're stepping into something. You're willing to struggle with somebody to help them bear their burden, to help them on their, on their journey. And so Jesus did that. You know, he's, he's angered by their hardness of their hearts, but at the same time, he's grieved because they just, they don't get it. And that's the thing about Jesus. He can be both angry and compassionate for people at the same time. I struggle with that one. I'm really good at being angry about things. But I struggle with compassionate anger. You know what I'm saying? Anger I got. I'm an Enneagram one. That's our gut level thing. Inner anger. Okay? And it drives you to do things. But it doesn't always drive you to compassion. Okay? Jesus 
was angry, but compassionate, even with these guys who absolutely didn't get, who are there to plot against him. Watch how the story ends. His hand was restored. And then here's our word in verse 6. Immediately, the Pharisees went out and started plotting with the Herodians against him how they might kill him. They get their robes all in a twist over the fact that Jesus' disciples picked grain on the Sabbath day. And Jesus healing somebody who has a need on the Sabbath day. But they have no problem putting a, plotting out a death threat against Jesus on the very same day that they're all upset about. Do you see that? The hypocrisy in that. Here's the thing about Jesus. Jesus always chose needs above law and above rule. Hey, Jesus, what's the greatest commands? Love God with everything you've got. The second's like it. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. On all of these things, hang the law and the prophets, including Sabbath keeping. You want to keep the Sabbath? Okay, make sure you keep people first. Make sure your people are taken care of on the Sabbath. Okay, if a man's ox falls in the ditch, guess what? Help him out. You've got to have his ox. Because it's about needs above law. So how did Jesus leave his mark? Here's what we need to know. It's simply this right here. Jesus left his mark by choosing to do good regardless of the consequences. Right? Regardless of the consequences, Jesus chose good. So what do we need to do? We choose to leave our, we leave our mark by choosing goodness over niceness and meeting needs wherever we can. Does that make sense? If we're going to be like Jesus, then we have to choose goodness. Even if it causes some trouble. Okay? You know, Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers. A peacemaker is not somebody who just dances around and frolics with the butterflies. Okay? That's a peace enjoyer. Okay? That's a beneficiary of peace. A peacemaker says, okay, you're in chaos, you're in trouble, you're in turmoil, and they step in with their gospel shoes on and they bring peace into a chaotic situation. That's what a peacemaker does. Okay? That's how we leave our mark. By choosing goodness over niceness. By putting on the shoes of the gospel. By stepping out and meeting needs where we find them. Bringing peace into the chaos of of somebody's life. So let's get to our question marks for the day. Number one. Do I want to be known as a nice person or a good person? 
And that one's tough because we always, oh, yeah, I want to be nice. Well, I think if we're good, I mean, if you're good, people will know that you are good because of the good that you do. Now then, there is a warning with this because we have to make sure that in our goodness, we don't tip over into judgment and self-righteousness because that's easy to do too, right? And remember what we've said, we stink at being judges. Terrible. God didn't let us have that job. Okay, knew it from the get-go. So we have to be mindful of it. Plus, self-righteousness and judgment is not goodness, right? That's something else altogether. That's badness. Do I want to be known as a nice person or a good person? A nice person, let things slide. Has being nice caused me to turn a blind eye to evil? For me, yeah, it has. I don't want it to, and I'm trying to do better at it. But if I'm going to really self-evaluate, then I have to say, yes, Sometimes I've chosen the nice guy instead of chosen the good guy. You know, we were talking about this yesterday. I mean, it's, you see this play out all the time at the beginning of American Idol. Okay? And the only reason we really watch American Idol is to watch the train wrecks at the beginning of the season. Okay? Those people that get on there and sing, and when they start going, it sounds like they're swinging a bag of cats against the wall. And they thought they were special and they thought they were, could sing because all of their friends and family have been too nice to tell them, you stink. Don't sing. Don't quit your day job. Literally, don't quit your day job. Don't do it. Find something else. Stop it. Okay? You see it play out. Okay? A good person is going to be like, hey, man, listen. You are terrible. I don't want you to be on Facebook and YouTube. I don't want you to be a YouTube star because of how bad you are. I'm going to be a good friend and tell you this is a bad idea. Do something else. Okay? Don't do this. Okay? I mean, we all have done that, right? We've not said something that we should have said to a friend. Okay? Remember what Lee Camp said? Let's not do niceness. Let's do charity, love, goodness. Okay? Final question. Am I willing to step in and act on behalf of someone else? That's cross-bearing, that's peacemaking, that's all of that stuff that's manifesting the fruit of goodness in our lives that comes from the Holy Spirit. And so that's it. Jesus left his mark by choosing to do good regardless of the consequences. We choose, or we leave our mark by choosing goodness over niceness and meeting needs wherever we find them. It's not easy, but that's how we leave a mark. You know, years ago, I went through this gospel, and it was good and great, but I didn't realize how challenging it was. Looking at it now, you see, man, this is some heavy stuff. This following Jesus stuff, it's for real. It's not just something to do. If it's just something to do, we haven't chosen the right side. Make sense? So let's, let's not just do nice church. Let's do a good church full of good people doing good things. Amen?